any given day, we will either ask the question, how are you doing? Or how are you? Or we will have them asked to us daily because most of us enter into interactions with other people on a daily basis. And we get that question, how are you? And how are you doing? Well, what exactly does that mean? And, and sometimes it's awkward to be in that situation. Like, how are you? How are you doing? Fine. And then you move on or you want to say something more or you feel compelled to say something more or on the receiving end, you're like, what does this mean? Or how should I answer this question? And it drove me to even to, to look up and research exactly what people were talking about when we asked, how are you and how are you doing? So I looked up what is the difference between how are you and how are you doing? And I found uh, something in from Grammarly which is a editing software, and I thought this was kind of neat. And this is what they said in Grammarly. The phrases sound similar, but in certain contexts, they may have subtle different meanings. For example, how are you makes a slightly more personal inquiry about someone's health or mood. It focuses on the person's condition. It's also a bit more formal than how are you doing? How are you doing is a general inquiry. It can be asked what's going on in someone's environment, similar to questions like, how's your day been so far? Or in some contexts, can you mean, how are you faring? Or do you need anything? Think of a server approaching your table at a restaurant and asking, how are we doing here? It's considered a bit more casual and conversational than, how are you? And that came from Grammarly. So, how are you doing? How are you? Well, it comes down to connection. It comes down to a story. It comes down to hearing a story from another person and telling a story yourself. And that is you and I. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a husband, a dad, a father, a man of faith, and I'm driven by curiosity. Always not finding the answers and particularly sometimes not even caring. I love to operate in the gray. Black and white is too simple, but I like the gray. The gray is messy. And I want to be empathetic and I want to be compassionate. And I'm here today to have a conversation with you about the past, the present, the future, with the hope that all of us will leave today ready to listen to our hearts and the hearts of others and together bring forth the contributions we wish to make on a global stage, a national stage, or even a local stage. And today, I'm continuing to look at the music of Lady Gaga. You and I, You and I was a song that Lady Gaga premiered doing a performance in England. In fact, it was Elton John's 12th annual White Tea and Tierra Ball. And this was June of 2010. And Twitter, on Gaga's Twitter, she said, You and I was a new song. She wrote it in New York on a piano she grew up on. And she talked to the audience before she sang it. She said it's a little bit of a rock and roll song. And she said it's probably not going to be used as one of her singles. But she said it was very dear to her heart. And she actually did use the song as a single on one of her albums later. Now, in this performance, the guitar player from Queen played on the track. And Lady Gaga always had a dream to play with Queen. In fact, her name, Lady Gaga, came from the Queen song, Radio Gaga. That's where she took her name from. 
So the song, You and I, is really interesting. She's singing about a, a love affair that she had with a, a guy from Nebraska. And she talked about, in an interview with U.S. Weekly, she said she finds it hard to sing about this song because it's about a relationship that she had with a boyfriend. And she talks about getting back together with the boyfriend and breaking up with him again shortly before she released her album, Born This Way. And she even said she gets upset. She gets upset when she sings the song, You and I, from time to time. But the fans really like the song. So she made a video in the state of Nebraska. And she was interviewed by a radio station in Omaha. And she talks about how, in figuratively, that she walked from New York City to Nebraska to get her boyfriend back. And in the video, she, has, she doesn't have any luggage. And it's just her, and her ankles are bleeding, and there's grass stuck on her shoes, and she's got an outfit on. And in the video, she's just talking about this idea of being tortured from being away from somebody that you care about. And that was sort of the video's idea. And she wanted to show that, that relationship, that battle, that hurt, the connection, the relationship, losing the relationship, going back to the relationship, and struggling to keep that connection. And what's really, really interesting in this video and in this song is when she says in the lyrics of the song, and these lyrics stood out to me, it says, we got a whole lot of money, but we still pay rent because you can't buy a house in heaven. There's only three men that I am certain my whole life. It's my daddy and Nebraska and Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Gaga has multiple songs where she talks about a spiritual relationship. Black Jesus in Amen Fashion. Judas. She mentions God prominently and born this way. There's also a song called Sinner's Prayer. So, there is a spiritual influence that permeates through Gaga's music. Why wouldn't anybody ask Lady Gaga to speak in a church? I mean, just, just on face value, she, she's a superstar. She's famous. She talks about Jesus. She talks about spiritual principles. So why wouldn't we have Lady Gaga speak in a church? Why wouldn't we consider Lady Gaga to be an ambassador for people who wanted to have a relationship with God. And let that sit there for a second. I want to talk about the thief on the cross for a minute. We know the story about the thief on the cross. There is a thief, two thieves actually, and they're hanging there on a cross, crucifixion, which was a form of execution. And the thieves that were on both sides of Jesus had done heinous things. You, you, you get executed for doing something bad very bad. And Jesus was up there because he had been accused of calling himself God. And that was blasphemy. And the leaders of the day, the Pharisees, used that to get him executed. They went through a process. 
you know, a criminal justice process. They couldn't just hang him to the cross and kill him, though they tried to from time to time to kill him in public, but Jesus was surrounded by people that they could never carry that deed out. So they went through the status quo, and the status quo was trump up charges, get the crowd riled up, and then the ruling leaders of the day put him on the cross. So the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, could then wash their hands and they could say, we didn't kill Jesus, we followed the process, and the process resulted in Jesus hanging on the cross. So there's Jesus on the cross, a man who hadn't done anything wrong, who had charges trumped up against them. And as we know today, we looked at Jesus as a model of how to live our lives. But he was falsely accused. So at the time, if you were a witness to this event, you were there in the first century, you wouldn't know what I know. You would only see a man convicted of a crime next to two criminals, and that would be your point of entry and focus into the conversation. You don't have what we have. Years and centuries of experiences and scripture study and Bibles and all those sorts of things. They didn't have that. So then they see these two thieves. And if you were there, you would not hear the conversation that was going on. The conversation where one of the thieves asked Jesus, Hey man, look, you're supposed to be this powerful savior. You did all these miracles. Get us off the cross, okay? Get get us off, man. Come on, get us off the cross. Save yourself and us. This is in the book of Luke 23, 39 to 43. He's like, look, man, get us off. Off the cross. Save us and save yourselves. Now, he has no relationship with Jesus, but he immediately enters into the situation thinking about himself. How can I leverage this man of power to help me? And then the other thief says, look, man, hey, we're here for a reason, right? We, we're here because we did something bad. And he says, we're suffering like justly because we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. So we did something wrong and we now have to face justice for us. But this man up here in the middle of us has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus says to him, he says, you know what? I'm going to let you be with me in paradise. And the individual, the thief, says this. He asked Jesus, he said, look, man, when you get into your kingdom, remember us. Which is a tremendous bit of faith for this person to be. Both of these individuals knew that Jesus was powerful. But one of them says, you're powerful in this world and the next world. And he believed in a next world, the thief, right? I'm about to die. It's over for me. And there's no way out because I did something wrong. But now I'm asking, I'm begging and pleading for help, help in this situation. And this is the idea of justice, mercy, and forgiveness and when to issue it. And how you carry yourself as a leader, as an employee, and, and how we look at other people. Now, there, there are lots of scriptures on judgment in the Bible. And one of the, the biggest criticisms of, of, of both Christianity and of leadership in general 
take away the Christianity, is this idea of evaluating people and making your decision as to what they are, who they are, and what abilities they have based upon what you see presently in front of you. That's called judgment. And there's a whole lot of scriptures on judgment. And when I look at the scriptures, I see that my name is not written there in that, in that end of the day when you're going to judge or you're going to be judged. The, the Bible doesn't say Stephen Thompson is going to act as a consultant to God to provide him insight into other people's lives. So imagine if it was Judgment Day and, and we, we got there and here came Lady Gaga and somehow I was pulled up on somewhere to be with God and God would turn to me and say, hey, Steve, what do you think about Lady Gaga? That story's not going to happen. That's not how it's written. If you believe in, some so in God, then you have to believe that you're not going to be the one who God's going to turn to to consult on other people. At least I don't believe that, that he's going to turn to me to consult on other people because it says that we're all going to stand before him and give an account. So it doesn't say that I get to skip that process and I get to sit there and consult. I, I, get to, I have to give my account. And if I have to give my account, then I have to live my life one way, right? Now, we're mixing all this together, right? We're, we're, we're talking about leadership. We're talking about the thief on the cross, and we're talking about Lady Gaga. So as a person of faith, do you drive people away or you do, do you bring people near? And now as a leader, do you drive people away or do you bring them near? And as an employee, do you drive people away or do you bring them near? And what is the role of judgment in the context of justice, mercy, and forgiveness? Now, there will be times in our lives when, as employees, we need to acknowledge that we have done something wrong. And we can hope that there will be a leader that will either extend to us mercy or forgiveness, but also administer justice. Now, when we look at this story, there was no get off the cross and go live their lives and get a second chance for any of these thieves. They, they, they died. Now, we can look at the story today and we can see that and people honor the, thief on, the thieves on the cross. The thief on the cross is a story that's told time and time again. But in that moment, at that time, that thief did not get off the cross and go and become a school teacher. The thief didn't get off the cross and become a fisherman or a farmer. He died. Justice. And there may be a time in our, in our employee relationships where we may mess up and then we have to get justice. But, but the story's not over for us if that's the case. If there's a case where you did something wrong and, and, and justice comes, and justice may come in the form of losing your job, or like Jesus, where you did nothing wrong, you did your very best, and justice comes in the form of you losing your job. But guess what? The story is not over. Justice does not mean the story is over. 
means there's a period there that time has ended. And as a leader, you have to know when to give justice, when to give mercy, when to give forgiveness, because it will affect your culture. You've got to know. If you have someone in your workplace who you know is harassing women and you have a policy and you don't implement that policy, then there's no justice there. You see, it's not a he said, she said. It means that it's not. If someone comes to you, you have a process in place, which is fill out a form, which is an investigation, which is interview witnesses. And then once you go through that process, you make a decision. But you can't be a person who says, well, I know this person, and they would never do that. When you have another person sitting there saying, well, she, he did that. Now, I'm not saying you make a final judgment, but I'm saying you have to go and do the process. As hard as it is, you have to follow the process. Justice, mercy, and forgiveness. The thief was given mercy and forgiveness, but he also got justice for what he did. So what are we in need of? Are we in need of justice? Are we in need of mercy? Are we need in need of forgiveness? And what do we need to give? Well, we need to give justice, mercy, and forgiveness. We need to bring people near, not drive people away. We need to stop evaluating people and start listening and connecting with people. Is Lady Gaga a Christian or not a Christian? That's not my job to determine. But what I do see is she talks about spiritual issues. So, can I acknowledge and validate her story? Can we acknowledge and validate the stories of the people who are in front of them, in front of us? without the urge to judge or fix. You see, sometimes I think we believe that if we don't judge or if we don't try to fix somebody, somehow we are condoning someone's behavior. And I don't think that's true. Or people don't say that. I think that's behind those thoughts, those statements. When you try to judge, you have this fear that you will be seen as condoning of a behavior. But behavior is a verb. And verbs can only be done by one person, me. So I have to decide how I'm going to carry myself. And I can make a decision to carry myself in one way without condemning the behavior of another individual. 
or judging the behavior of another individual. At the end of the day, it's about how we carry ourselves. So in our workplaces and in our spiritual lives, we decide to carry ourselves in a certain way and only we can perform our life. We get input. We follow manuals. We read books. But at the end of the day, we have to decide and we get the choice to be able to carry ourselves the way that we want to. And then what's the wonderful thing about being free? In the book Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, the author Joy DeGruy argues and talks about the differences in cultures Western cultures, non Western cultures. African Americans and non African Americans. And she talks about a meeting and she uses a meeting to describe this. And she says that in a workplace in America, when a person comes to a meeting late, that person is normally looked down upon, frowned upon. There could be some sort of discipline there, a sheet. That leads to demerits, that leads to potentially you losing your place of employment simply because you were tardy. You didn't make it on time. Now, if you had a problem, you know, a flat tire, your child had to be dropped off at school, that could be seen as a reason or as an excuse, or if somebody says it so many times, it could turn into somebody's lying. So we put in these metrics, and these metrics are designed to prevent abuse. And in the preventing of abuse, there's also sometimes we abuse. Now, she says, in contrast, in an African culture, when they have a meeting, and the meeting's running, and a person arrives late, they stop the meeting. And everyone acknowledges the person who just entered the room because they are happy to see the person. You see, because the person who is at the meeting is more important than the agenda of the meeting. And now is a choice. They chose to honor the person, the individual, the story of the person. And they didn't worry about the meeting. They set aside the meeting agenda because the agenda can just be rewritten, reshuffled. I can go into Google and I can look at my Google Doc and I can use find and replace. I can use a grammar tool to fix things. I can sort, cut and paste, move agenda items around. But you can't do that with a person. Persons, people, we have feelings. So we listen to the stories, we honor the stories, and the stories tell you something about people. But, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear the story, respect the story. Don't trash the story. Don't rush to move the story. Sit with it. Experience it. Experience the emotions that someone is having. That's how we build connection. It's always interesting when you go to some sort of maybe a coaching relationship and, and they give you a survey immediately. 
And that survey is going to tell you about yourself and someone will go and read it and evaluate it and decide what's good for you. But here's one thing. Surveys are good for large groups and for scale and to move a large group. But you may need that. But we're in a connection business and an emotional business. Here's, here's something to do. Go on Yelp. And I saw this really fascinating, fascinating piece of information. I, I looked at tailors and tailors for suits, and I found this tailor who was an old build in an old building in an undesirable part of the city in downtown Los Angeles, had been there for many years, and he has all five-star reviews. And you read those five-star reviews, and in every review it talked about connection and the person talking to them and not trying to use high-pressure sales and building a connection and giving them what was best for them and then sending them down to somebody else. And then you see all these fancy restaurants in high-traffic areas that are beautiful, designed using design theory, consultants that come in and, and, and tell them, do the traffic studies, and then they do the, the mood and the lighting and then those restaurants close. And I'm not mad at fancy and good. And I'm not mad at consultants. But you can't just survive on fancy and good. You can't build on fancy and good. You need a product and you need customer service. And the way you treat people will determine if you survive. And if your product, if it's good enough, it will determine if you thrive. You see, you've got to do fancy and good second. You can't do fancy and good first because everybody is doing fancy and good. And what sets apart the great is the way that you treat people, the type of product you put into the world, connection. So try this. The next time you see a person on the street, try this. Say, I'm glad to see you. And then maybe wait for you to tell them how they feel or how they're doing. Be in the moment with someone. Imagine this. If a person comes to you and you say, how are you? Well, we already have the evidence, right? They're in front of you. They're, that means they're alive. And if they walked over to you, that means they can walk. And if they see you in front of you, that means they can see. All things to be grateful for. So do we really need to know how are they? Because we have evidence of that in front of you. And trust that you have the answer to that question. We don't have to fix. And we need to consider maybe is somebody ready to receive something? Maybe they aren't ready for questions. You know, questions can come, become interrogations to somebody who's hurting. But an acknowledgement can be an affirmation. If you're going through something hard and troubling, you need community and connection. And you might just need, it took every bit of strength to get out of your bed and go somewhere where there's connection and community. And that's all you have the bandwidth for and that's okay that's okay and us as people who see people 
Just say, I'm glad to see you. And let them tell you how they're feeling. And even if they don't, let them go on into the room. We don't have to fix. We don't have to judge. We just need to carry ourselves in one way, shape, or form. And use our talents and our abilities to bring forth our contribution. We can be more by being curious instead of critical. And maybe we can be curious about Lady Gaga's relationship with God instead of being critical about it. And start from that place. Because remember, at the end of the day, whose job? Who, who gets the job to judge? It's not me. And it's not you. And if you're not a spiritual person, it doesn't even matter to you anyway. Because you don't carry yourself that way. So, for you, you probably do a better job of it affirming people than people who are supposed to be doing a good job at that of affirming people. So, we need to be curious. But at the end of the day, we need to connect. And I think we do better connecting with people than we do driving people away. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. Today is your day. This moment is yours. It's a time to reflect. It's a time to be aware. Now put your feet on the ground and feel what is underneath you and look up to the sky and say thank you. Look forward at your surroundings and be aware. Aware of all that you have. Now, move forward from that space. Go out today. Create something. Heal. Either yourself or someone else. Contribute. Laugh and love. We're all here together. Thank you.